Iowa everywhere. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sage Rosenfels Experience. I am Sage Rosenfels on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Today's guest is Eric Eager, longtime data scientist and statistical genius around with around the NFL, longtime pro football focus geek, and uh, now vice president at Sumer Sports, where he works with Thomas Dimitrov. Uh, on all things football. So he's always a great guest. He always looks at football from a different angle, from a data and statistical angle, and, and uh, of course, follows the league and, and each team, each player, each organization, extremely close. Uh, it, it's a great show, and uh, he's a great guest. Thanks for listening. From the Channel Seed Studios, Channel Seed Studios. This, this is the Sage Rosenfels Experience, exclusively on Iowa Everywhere. Channel Seed, seedsmanship at work. Eric Eager's in the house, my man, Eric, how's it going? I'm doing well, Sage. Uh, first two weeks of the NFL have been uh, entertaining. So uh, I'm looking forward to week three. Well, for those who don't know, Eric, uh, I'm going to read off some of your credentials. Vice President Partner at Sumer Sports. Uh, he's applied mathematician and data scientist. Uh, when I first got to know him, he was at Pro Football Focus. And as I got to know him, he was telling me how he designed a lot of the equations that came up with the data and the statistics for PFF, which really uh, sort of took the NFL by storm. No one had really done that type of work before. And now it's obviously grown into a, a pretty dang large company. And so Eric brings a different element to the show. Most of the time in football, you're talking about former players or coaches, or sometimes it's just you know people from radio shows who are really just fans. Eric brings a whole different perspective uh, to this show, which I love having him on. He came on last year, and uh, I, I do appreciate your time. Won't take up too much of it, but yes, we're two season. Uh, I've got a list of questions for you, but what are your initial thoughts? Just, you know, you have the preseason, which isn't really anything anymore. It really wasn't much before, but it's become less and less and less. And those first two weeks do sort of sh show you a lot of things. What, what have you seen in, the, in these first two weeks? Yeah, I think that NFL defenses are really serious about limiting big plays now, right? You see, um, it, you know, the the NFL with, with Patrick Mahomes and, you know, uh, Josh Allen, and you think about those pandemic years where it's just deep ball and, you know, huge, hugely productive offenses. You've seen guys retire like Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers is basically retired now. And, like, you have you have this, like, new wave of quarterbacks – and I think defenses are really making a concerted gamble to say, look, we're going to give up five yards at a time, whether that be running the football or throwing short passes. But what we're not going to do is let you get a 60-yard touchdown. We're not going to make it easy on you. We're going to make you be efficient over and over and over again on your way to the end zone. And it's caused scoring to be down. It's caused running the football to be more important uh, than it usually is. And it's it's causing, you know, some real interesting changes in our assumption about the game. And, uh, you know, that's going to change like a lot of, you know, the the ways in which uh, we want to look at offense and, and, and how NFL teams want to engineer offense. What you just said reminds me of the conversations that were occurring in the NFL in about 2006 and 2000. During that time, this is when the Tampa Bay Tampa two defense was rolling and man, you could run the ball on it. 
you could throw short passes, hit that tight end over the over the right over the ball for a, a, you know a catch at five. It turns around and gets an eight or nine yard gain. But the whole mindset behind Tampa two was bend and don't break and and force an offense to go not just ten but twelve and fifteen plays methodically down the field and face a lot of third downs. At some point, someone's going to knock down a ball or you're going to jump off sides or get a holding penalty. And that bend don't break offense was extreme or defense was extremely um, successful in Tampa and around the league. I mean, everyone started running forms of that defense. And when it switched from Tampa to a lot of times it went to sort of a soft cover three, which was still sort of keep the ball in front of you. And that, and, and in particularly in the, in the red zone, teams would move the ball and then they get stuck in the 20 yard line and kick field goals. And so it feels like the league is, is it's always going one way and comes back another way. And then it, it, it seems like we're now back to this sort of more bend don't break. And that can be really hard for offenses in particular, I think with the shortened off season. And I think that might have something to do with the fact that offenses, it's hard for them to execute at a really, really high level when basically your, you know, your, your OTAs and your offseason mini camps, all those have been cut back in half. And of course, training camp now is basically half of what it used to be. Well, and, and, you know, what broke the cover two in the, in that middle decade was the middle of the two decades ago were tight ends, right? You had Antonio Gates, you had Jimmy Graham come onto the scene. You had Algie Crumpler, Daniel Graham, Ben Watt, like you had all these tight, like when you were playing fantasy football, Everybody had a good tight end on their team. And, and uh, nowadays, I mean, you think about it, this you think about now it's like, what, six guys that are worth anything at tight end right now. And even then, now teams are starting to do some of the, you know, Iowa State three high stuff where, you know, if you want to, you, know, you can't split the two safeties because there's a safety sitting right between them. And I think to your point, it's because and, and that that development of that position, right, you think about. Um, like I take a player like David Njoku, he's drafted at like 20 years old. It takes him like four years to really be any good. The Browns buy into him with a big contract because they know the scarcity of that position. He's pretty damn good tight end now. And so same thing with TJ Hawkinson in Minnesota. He's not really great in Detroit. He comes to Minnesota. They use him a ton. Um, that's, that's a plus player, but for the average tight end, a college football is not developing that player because there's so much spread offense and there's no, there's so many, there, there's just so much value to being a smaller shiftier, uh, uh, get open guy. And then in the NFL, you just don't have the practice time. You also don't have, and, and it's part of this issue with the new collective bargaining that we say new it's 2011 and now 2020. But if I draft and hold the tight end, and he gets to year three and hasn't produced for me. That's a wasted pick because, you know, the, the value of a draft pick is that delta between their production and their cost. And back, you know, back in the day, right, the cost of high draft picks was substantial. Like Sam Bradford made a lot of money. For example, Vernon Davis, when he was drafted uh, in the top 10, made a lot of money from the very beginning. Uh, he was one of the highest paid tight ends when he was drafted. And so the, yeah. the, the economics of the game and the and and the whole like the way that players are, de- are not developed anymore because there's not that much practice time means that a lot of these tried and true methods to beat these these even coverages are like not there anymore for NFL teams. And so they're kind of stuck being like, well, what do we do here? And and when you do actually hit on a player that can can kind of control the middle of the field, we've seen in Minnesota, it does enhance your offense substantially. It's just that there's only so many players uh, that can actually fit that bill. 
for the listeners out there, I think it's it's important to understand that when teams play a lot of two high coverages, you know, cover two sa- two safeties that are deep, that really a lot of times means that they're doubling the outside receivers, which means that on the inside, the tight ends, the slot receiver, the old Wes Welker, Julian Edelman position, uh, and a lot of times the running back as well, you're, you're really matched up on one of those inside linebackers one-on-one. A lot of times with inside leverage, and so those, you see a lot of little, little outbreaking routes, um, but those do take time and those do take reps to, to throw and catch and to obviously – run great routes are you seeing uh, a drop off in you know the average rookie uh the average nfl player when you add it all up i thought i saw the other day 2.9 years and i think when i was playing it was like 3.3 years so that may have even gone down but are you seeing a lack of development like literally statistically uh amongst these young drafted players yeah so what's what's funny is um you look at like say win shares like so you add up the number of uh wins a player adds which is a a complicated formula but certainly can be done the percentage of players who the percentage of wins generated by rookie contract players has gone up substantially over the past 10 years since the new cba and what that means is that the percentage of wins generated by veteran players players who have been developed and have been able so the more that you're developed just like you sage right you went washington uh miami uh houston minnesota uh, new york like you've played in many different offenses and so somebody's not going to look at you in in like let's say that you were put on waivers somebody's not going to look at you and be like well sage is only a kyle shanahan quarterback or only a such and such quarterback they're gonna be like well he's played in all these but like you think about a guy now who let's say is a six round pick plays for a couple years and then gets cut it's like well do you really want to buy into that guy who has who has only really had data for one or two schemes or can i just go back into the draft and take the same player reset the clock and 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 i i call it i sort of call it potato chip roster building which is like you can like it's just not nourishment for your roster and but it's like potato chips they're like they're there and they're available and it's like this and there's an incentive for you to eat them i i think that that's kind of how it is and it happens with quarterbacks too like it happens kind of all around but i think specifically for some of these positions that take a long time to develop namely tight end um you know offensive line now offensive line is more essential than tight end in a certain way so like teams are still going to buy into the andrew thomases who struggle early and then and then play really well or garrett bradbury for minnesota but a position like tight end where a lot of teams are like meh i can i can recreate that production with a slot receiver i think that uh teams have been incentivized probably in the wrong way to become smaller and uh and and leaner kind of or you know smaller and quicker on the outside which has left them i think in you know relatively um armorless against like these defenses right and you think about who who did all of these defenses emerge to stop they emerged to stop patrick mahomes and the chiefs and what did the chiefs do last season they ran the most 12 or sorry most 13 so one wide receiver three tight end personnel groupings in the entire nfl and they were very efficient out of it they win a super bowl because in 2021 they fought through all of the growing pains of going against those offense uh, those defenses they trade the guy that was supposedly the best player of the mahomes on offense and they re-engineered their offense to be more impervious to those coverages and they're a year ahead now of, of the Buffaloes, the Cincinnati's, all those teams that are now struggling who, with elite players at QB, but struggling to 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 win, uh, 
win against those sort of shell coverages where you really do need a tight end or, you know, uh, even just a bigger receiver. Uh, and the Chiefs, of course, have that guy in Kelsey, but they've also developed guys beneath Kelsey to, to fill those roles as well. Do you think there's a big advantage uh, for these offenses that with, with more tight ends? I, Philadelphia a couple of years ago, they were using three tight ends a lot as well. Um, and they've obviously been successful the last few years. Do you feel like there's just big upside for offenses that have at least two, if not three or four tight ends that they use a lot on game day? Because not just for guys that can go out and catch the ball, but truly in the running game. And it allows you to force the defense to, to play the gaps, force the defenses to play the run. And that if you're playing soft and playing for the pass, you're going to try to pat Mahomes by dropping seven and eight all the time. We're just going to shove it down your throats. And so it really forces the defense to play like not their game that they've been practicing and, and, and scouting for and, and drafting and four is smaller, faster guys, but you go with three tight ends. Yes, we could throw it, but Man, if you don't if you don't play it uh, play it right, we're just going to run it you know up and down the field on you. Right. I you know last Thursday I was at the game. I was at Philadelphia. I watched Minnesota play the Eagles, and like you know the Eagles have Dallas Goddard. They they have other guys that they rotate in there as well. Minnesota opened that game because they they're weaker in coverage. Right. You look at their personnel; it's not great. They opened that game with one down lineman, um, two uh, two off ball linebackers, two edge three edge players, I'm sorry, and five defensive backs, three of whom are safety. So they think they're playing big because instead of having a nickel corner, they have a nickel safety. But the the backbone of their defense is one defensive lineman, right? And so we watched that game, and Jalen Hurts didn't look particularly good. But that Eagles, DeAndre Swift had 133 rushing yards before first contact, right? So you're talking about a guy who's, like, not contacted there, and it's because like either a defense has two choices. They can play with the personnel that got them there. Right. And all these teams are like, okay, if we ultimately want to win the Super Bowl, we have to beat some of these high flying offenses. So they, 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 they build out their defense with defensive backs and stuff, but I, I call it the defense. It feels like, pullback. feels like, feels like defensive backs and pass rushers instead of just right. like stout defensive linemen or that sort of tweener that he's a decent pass rusher, but he stops the run. Well, they're going for speed and quickness all over the field. Yeah, like you, you know, back when you played for the Vikings, it was like Pat Williams, right? Pat Williams is the guy that, like, on first down, you know, he's in the football game, and you're just not going to run the football that well on him because he's going to eat your center and guards alive. Nowadays, Kevin Williams, the other guy, the three tech, he'd be the beefy guy on the defense now. And as good as Kevin was, like, you're weaker against the run in that situation. And that's fine on third down. That's fine possibly on longer second downs. But on first down, you're just inviting the other team to – and to, to the point that I'm talking about – Offenses haven't been like less necessarily successful. Like they're okay. It's a little bit of a drop off, but play for play success is fine by offenses. And so they're almost daring them. I think that that changes our assumptions because like, for example, end of game, can you stop the run enough to get the ball back? Can you, you know, can you control the football game and the teams to your point Sage, when, when the teams that have those, the Niners, the, like the Niners get your third linebacker on the field, that third linebacker is not a starter in the NFL anymore. Like, and so if you can get that guy on the field, you're automatically at advantage, which back then you're third, like, you know, when you get the the nickel guy on the field, you're in an advantage on offense. It's the other way around. Now, if you can get that third linebacker on the field, your Kyle use checks, your um, Dallas Goddard's, those guys are going to be at a sizable advantage. And I think that that's kind of the way, the way that things are trending right now. By the way, your, your three safety 
secondary. We used to call that big nickel. I, I believe New England was when I was in Miami. That was like the first team. They had three good safeties. Lloyd Malloy was one of them. I can't remember the other two guys' names, but they sort of had three starting safeties and didn't have a very good true nickel back. And they felt that versus certain offenses that wanted to run the football, they could sort of do both. And they played what we called uh, big nickel you know, at that time. Uh, I What I see in, in the games that I've watched so far is sort of what you're saying. And I've seen these moments at the end of ball games where a team is down by a field goal, team's down by five, the other team has the ball, they got to get a stop. And in the old days, it felt like for the most part, they got the stop. Offenses would get mm-hmm. conservative, they'd run, run, third and eight, they'd get pressure, check the ball down or throw it away. They didn't want to take a sack punt now it seems like teams are getting seven yards on on first down you know you know it just it seems like teams are running the ball in sort of must run situations and in defense and must stop situations there's just not enough beef on the defensive side of the football to prevent teams from sort of running out the running out the game on them yeah it used to be end of game like it used to be end of game you know, you were your your sub defensive backs for your weaknesses because they were playing. They went from playing ten snaps in the first three quarters to playing ten snaps in that drive, and that's where you know the problems were. Now it's like your nose tackle, right? Um, it's your third, second, and third linebacker. You know, they play sparingly the whole game, and now it's three downs, and they better hold the point of attack when the the other team's offensive liners you know, lathered up and they played all game and this guy's, you know, pretty, pretty uh, cold. And, and you, to your point, like even opening night chiefs lines, it's like, you know, when the chiefs went for it on fourth and 25, everybody gave them the flack. I'm like, well, look, like if you kick the ball to the lions with 70 yards in front of them, like you're just never going to get the ball back. Right. So at least like, think about like giving him the ball in field goal range, maybe they'll lay up against you and you'll be able to get the ball back quicker and like, you know, there was an article I wrote at sumersports.com, which is a similar idea, which is just like, we have to change our assumptions about end of game. Like if you kick the ball back to the other team and you're the 2008 Minnesota Vikings with Pat Williams, Kevin Williams, Jared Allen, and Ray Edwards, like you're getting a stop, right? Like, it, yeah. you know, cause those guys have played all game and they're better than the offensive line. Nowadays, if you're the Minnesota Vikings, you kick the ball back to the Eagles and you're, you got guys called uh Jonathan Bullard and guys you know Dean Lowry like I'm sorry but like the Eagles are not afraid of running against that yeah let's go into the league uh and look around the league a little bit I'm wearing my Dolphins hat I decided that when I do podcasts I'm just going to try to wear the hat of the team that I played for that's actually doing really well right and then (laughs) some years I mean there's as you know in the last few years there's been some really bad Washington teams there's been been some bad Miami teams there's been some bad Giants teams uh, the Vikings are always sort of in the middle, never too yep. bad, never too good. Uh, and the Texans have been atrocious. So it's been a struggle. But this year, the Dolphins, oh, uh, can you see it on this side? Yeah, this side, Reebok. This is how yep. old this hat is. Uh, yeah. This hat's, I don't know, 15 years old or something. But um, the Dolphins are look like a legit team. Uh, Mike McDaniel's gone in there and in just two years completely changed the trajectory of that franchise. What are you seeing, uh, you know, statistically, data-wise, and just from from your eye perspective of what the Dolphins are doing? And is it just Mike McDaniel, or is it, you know, is it personnel and and all those things as well? It's so funny because, like, you know, math people like me, and like, obviously, you're you're a very uh, very like I feel like you're an honorary person in this regard too. It's like we always like to push boundaries, right? We think about 
I'm playing a chess game and I'm trying to find like the move that no one else does, or, you know, I'm trying to play a video game and I'm trying to find the cheats and all this kind of stuff. And like Mike McDaniel looks at the NFL and he says, when a fullback's on the field, the offense does pretty well. Uh, when motion happens, the offense does pretty well. When, you know, if you can get a guy. So like, for example, in the first two weeks, Tua Tungvaluwa has the lowest time to throw in the NFL and the highest average that were one of the highest average at the target. So you're talking about a cheat code where you're throwing quick, but the guys on the outside are so fast that you, you, you are, you stretch the defense out in ways that no one else can. I think, you know, he's fantastic. And there's always a question, right? Like you've played for Kyle Shanahan, you know, you kind of can see the, and you've also played for bad shoulders. You you can see like kind of the, the sort of dichotomy of like, this is a guy who it's his offense. He knows it from back to front. He can tweak it in ways that don't ruin it. Right. And, and can make it better. And then you've also seen guys who are copying somebody else's offense and, and how, like when they make changes off of it or they deviate personnel wise, it's like, well, it doesn't fit. Like I remember, and again, this is like, you know, not to be well, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah. I, I want you to know my rookie year, it's Marty Schottenheimer, right? Marty Schottenheimer, mm-hmm. 2001 Washington. And if you don't think Brian Schottenheimer, my quarterback's coach in his first year as an NFL quarterback's coach, had me watching Joe Montana film from 1993 Kansas City. That's what I that's what I watched. It's like, hey, coach, you know what? what, what you know, watch some Montana. So I'm watching the same plays Joe Montana ran. Um, and I believe um I believe Mike McCarthy was his quarterback's coach uh, in that system. Yeah, you was, know, uh, Brian Schottenheimer and Mike are, are like best friends. Was, yeah, uh, Hackett. Hackett's dad was the OC in that for that. Uh, That's right. Team. Yeah. So that version of the West Coast offense was literally the like NFL offensive Bible. It was like these are the plays. This is the depth. This is what we run. Here's the timing. Here's where everyone has to be precisely. And well, we could we do it this way. Nope, that's not the way they do it. And it was just very sort of set in stone and really uncreative at the time. I, I mean, I truly remember my rookie year being like, man, this is the NFL. I thought it'd be a much more advanced yeah. version of football. But the reality, it was only advanced in detail, but really not advanced in concepts or or bigger thinking. But when Kyle came along and Mike on that staff and Matt LaFleur on that staff and Robert Salas, the defensive coach on that staff with Kubiak, that to me was the first time where younger coaches were like, well, maybe we should try this or we should try this or, you know, we're going to run this play, but this coverage stops it. So we'll just do this. And Kyle was just, that's the way he was. Every answer they had, Kyle had another answer and Kubiak wasn't even really ready for it at that time. And I think that's one of the coolest things about the NFL nowadays. It's not run by um, a bunch of sort of archaic old school coaching. Uh, it's become more and more the acceptance of let's find people who are willing to try something different, willing to be out of the box. And as much as I love Kyle, Mike McDaniel's offense is not Kyle's offense. And Matt LaFleur's yep. offense is definitely not Kyle's offense or Mike's or Sean McVay's. They have all their own unique uh, versions of what started as sort of Kyle's and Kubiak's and really Mike Shanahan's offense, but they have all gone these different directions. And it does feel like to me, Mike McDaniel, um, again, you're, you're dealing, you're dealing with different variables, Tyree kill over here. Um, then you have Jalen Waddle. Uh, 
Yeah, you have different people in San Francisco, you have different people in Green Bay, right? So what do you do with the actual personnel? But it does feel like to me that even Mike is doing things that I've never seen San Francisco do. Uh, and that's really, really, really fun to watch uh, a, a young coach try and then, of course, have success running completely new concepts. Well, that's the thing, I think, like, and that's what makes it so hard to be sustainably good in the NFL. And like why, you know, there have been days where, like, I think Marty had great talents in like the offensive lines in those Kansas city years were so good and the running game and like, obviously Joe Montana changed things and, and, and so forth. So like, but when the talent is maybe not there, we had to adjust and you look and like, I, I, I look at Mike McDaniel goes on the road in Buffalo in January last year and puts up 30 points against a good Buffalo defense with his third string quarterback. And I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, that's probably sustainable. I, I needed to see it one more year before I'm like, okay, this guy's not just a flash in the pan. And you can kind of put him in that McVay, Shanahan kind of tier. But, you know, when you add wrinkles like that out motion or whatever they're doing now with Hill, it's just like, it just stresses the defense so much because we've looked at like, we've looked forever at, you know, motion in the NFL with a jet type where you're coming from outside in. And now he's like, oh, why, why don't you just do inside out? And it's like, these defenses were all scared because linebacker play in the NFL is not as great as it, you know, or it's not as it's different than it used to be. So you were putting all the stress on the linebackers coming into the formation, but you, you realize you have the rest of the field to work with. And he he's, he's stressing that now it's, it's phenomenal to see. And they, yeah, they do it differently. They use a fullback, they use tight ends, but in different ways than the 49ers do, which is cool. And, and obviously it's really helping to, uh, um, be, you know, be the best version of himself. It'll be interesting to see if he can, if Tua specifically can maintain it because outside of injury, he's executed that offense phenomenally for two years. What's really amazing to me is in about the last 10 years, uh, maybe 15 years, the, the NFL was so much, uh, you, you, you break the huddle, come out to the ball, You'd have Z receiver on the right out by the numbers, X receiver on the left out by the numbers, mm -hmm. either a tight end or a slot receiver, you know, somewhere near the end of the line of scrimmage with, with, with the tackles. And that's how you played football. And you just sort of lined up and maybe you had a motion or maybe you had a shift. But at the end of the day, the play started with these players way on the outside. And these guys started moving the receivers to the inside to a close split, a tight split, a nasty split, whatever you want to call it. And I, it, what, it, what it did and it, what happened in Houston was it really re you realize how much it opened up the entire field for that receiver. If you're on the outside, you can only really run outside routes. You can't get to the other side of the football field, but you're in basically the slot or a close split. You can run still outside routes. They just widen and run those sort of same routes, widen out route, widen go route, widen uh, curl route. But now you also can run your classic uh, um, slot routes, corner routes, seams. But then you can also get to the other side of the football field, shallow crosses, deep crosses, deep over routes. You can truly you have you can you can impact the entire field, which just opens up the playbook for to, to more plays than you ever had before in that traditional receivers out wide offense. Um there's a couple teams I want to talk about, and, and you tell me what if, if they're for real. Or, or this is just sort of a fabrication uh, or a mirage. This, the, the L.A. Chargers, 0-2. A lot of teams like this football team. They love the quarterback. Herbert's one of those quarterbacks that you had talked about earlier who would just let it fly deep down the field. Why is that team 0-2? And you think they'll be in the mix at the end of the season? Or do you think this is going to be a, more of a 500 football team? 
I don't know, man. I think some, so some of it's bad luck, right? Their last four losses, I think are by a combined, you know, um, like 12 points or something like that. So, you know, close games tend to revert back as we've seen with your former, the Vikings being 11 and 0 in one score games and now 0 and 3 in the next one, three, one score games. So they, they, always, you know, the chargers are always in these games. I get frustrated because when I think about that talent defensively, you have Bosa, you have Mac, you have Sebastian Joseph Day. You have a first-round linebacker in Kenneth Murray and Eric Kendricks playing with him. You have J.C. Jackson you gave a lot of money to and Derwin James. Like, this should be better, right? Like, this should be better defensively. But from a schematic standpoint, it feels like Brandon Staley, like, when he was in Los Angeles with the Rams, he had Aaron Donald and he was able to sort of, like, build this plane around him. And he goes, and and again, like, this is back to the whole deal of, like, are you truly a coaching genius or are you kind of living on the edge? Like you go from Aaron Donald to like Khalil Mack, which is like a little bit of a downgrade as far as your sturdiness on the defensive line and everything blows up, right? They can't stop the run against uh, the Raiders with a chance to make the playoffs last year. They can't stop a nosebleed uh, when the, the um, Jaguars are coming back on them in the playoffs. And then you look at the other side and like, I like Justin Herbert a lot. We're on offensive coordinator number three, and 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 two of those guys have had success with other quarterbacks, right? Shane Steichen is the head coach in Indianapolis after taking Jalen Hurts to the Super Bowl and having Jalen Hurts perform. That was the best Super Bowl performance by a quarterback in a loss. You have Kellen Moore, who's led top 10 offenses for days in Dallas with a quarterback who I think most people would say is not as good as Justin Herbert. No. Now, they're, 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 they were good in the first two weeks moving the ball, but you're still like, why is Justin Herbert, when I like look at the stat sheet, averaging five yards of pass attempt midway through this game? Like, Why is that happening? I, and so it, to me, it has to be something having to do with the coaching. And I and I get no. So like I'm selling them just because I just like I need to see them put it together. And I, I just don't see them putting it together. And 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 at some point, like I think Herbert's a really quick processor of the play, but I think that that leads to him taking the check down way too fast. I think sometimes he needs to be ballsier, throwing the ball over the middle and stuff like that. And I, and I don't know if anybody in that building, I think they all know that they're failing him in that building and so that they're not willing to challenge him in some ways. And so that he kind of stays the same, which is not enough for them to win. And and then defensively, like to your point, they're, they're failing him on the other side of the ball. My biggest concern always is when the head coach is hired and his side of the football is the weak link of the team, mm -hmm. right? When I went to Houston in 06, uh, 06, 07, 08, the three years I was there. Now we won six games. All right, David Carr's last year there. Shop came in. We won, I think we we're eight and eight, and then maybe nine and seven in those two years. Um, but our, 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 our team wasn't great. But our offense was top five. Well, that's why mm -hmm. Gary Kubiak was hired. It was to be a good offensive uh, a coach. And that's my concern with Staley. I really like him. I like the fact that he does things a little different. I like the fact that he goes for it sometimes and sort of throws a wrinkle and he's trying to play the data game um, uh, of it all. But when your defense isn't good and that's why you are hired to me, like, well, we can hire somebody else uh, to do just an average or a below average job. Uh, on your side of the football. I mean, the Chargers should have a top 10 defense and they don't, and they have an elite quarterback um, and it's not producing big enough numbers on offense. I agree with you. I'm sort of a, a sell on the Chargers. It's just a random team. There's some teams out there that are sort of surprisingly 0-2. Uh, the Bengals are the uh, another one of those teams. What are your thoughts on the Bengals for the first uh, two weeks? I know week one was in a sloppy game. 
with Cleveland. Yeah. So that's like hard to count that one, but they're surprising, uh, you know, 0-2 football team as well. Yeah, I mean, I like the way the Bengals construct their team. Like they do a really good job of of drafting like two years before they need a position. Like I don't, I think the roster is good. And and when you when you're two and fourteen in 2019, and then you're in the Super Bowl two years later, you know that you're going to be dealing with imperfections, right? Your offense, their offensive line was their imperfection. They go out and get, um, you know, Orlando Brown. They move Jonah Williams to right tackle. They've in theory, got that thing, you know, more figured out. The Browns were a buzz on week one. The weather was bad. My thing with it, my issue is, is that Burrow is not healthy. And, and we've seen quarterbacks, like, I don't know if you watched the AFC championship game, but when Mahomes is on one foot and you saw that touchdown throw, he had to Marcos Valdez-Scantling where he's not, he didn't, he, his feet weren't touching the ground and he's able to like, just throw a pee down the middle of the field. And because he's just so otherworldly talented, you see the same thing with uh, with Josh Allen. You see the same thing with, with Herbert. Frankly, like Herbert had really legitimately broken ribs for most of last year and was still able to overcome that because he's just so physically gifted. My issue with Burrow is he's more Tom Brady like from a physical standpoint, right? He's more the arm strength is good enough, but not Patrick Mahomes like his. I always move. I always looked at Burrow as sort of Joe Montana, right? Yeah, well, not. It, Right. A good athlete, not a great athlete, a good arm, not a great arm. It has just the natural moxie, somehow has that ability to at the right moment, the right time. Teammates love him. So he, he doesn't have any like elite elements on the fact that he just seems to be a guy that wins football games. That always reminds me of sort of a Joe Montana. Of course, he's only a few years into his career, but that, that always. Well, when, Joe, when, Joe had, when Joe had health problems. It was the offense wasn't as good. You know, like we're talking about one of the best quarterbacks of all time, but there were moments where Joe Montana was injured and that offense wasn't that offense went from one to five. Right. Which in the margins of the NFL, that's enough to tank you. And so, like, when I look at Burrow being not physically right, I don't think he has the arm strength or the athleticism to overcome that the same way that some of these other robo quarterbacks. So when I look at the Bengals, I think if Burrow's healthy, I can bet on them to be pretty good. Their schedule isn't that hard down the stretch. I know they're 0-2 in their own division, but like they, their schedule is fine. Like The AFC North actually has a relatively it's, easy schedule. It's, it's um, a pretty – well, not only that, I feel like the AFC North is just sort of a bland division in general. I, yeah. I don't think anyone's elite, you know, and in, in obviously the Steelers aren't. I, the Browns I don't think are. And I don't, really don't think Baltimore is. I think there's good teams. I just don't see an elite team in that division. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because Baltimore has flashes of being elite, but they always are so hurt that, you know, they're just never at full strength. So I agree with you. My issue, though, is like that calf injury. I mean, we've all had injuries before, you know, you played a lot longer than I did, but like that calf injury doesn't get better, right? It's just, you're, you're, it's a pain tolerance thing the whole season. And it's, it's his like back leg. So that's where he derives a lot of his strength. So I'm selling the Bengals, not because I don't think that they're, skeleton is good or i think their coaching is good i just don't know if the most important player on that team is ever going to be 100 percent this year let's move on to the nfc east it's always an interesting division it's always the division that pretty much every sat sunday night or monday night we're seeing an AFC or an nfc east team uh, on national t television seems to be a pretty strong division this year uh, obviously you got dallas at 2-0 eagles are 2-0 commanders are at 2-0 um, Eric Bieniemy getting it done so far, uh, and the Giants are one and one, though they should be zero and two. Uh, what are your thoughts about the NFC East this year? Yeah, Dallas is really good, right? I mean, and I think you know Mike McCarthy. A lot of people doubted Mike McCarthy 
but there's a, you know, and especially as a data person, you're like, I look at Mike McCarthy and I see a guy that takes a very inconsistent Dallas team over withstands the injury to Dak in 2020 and then wins two, two, two 12 win seasons. Uh, especially last year where every team in that division was above 500, a really good feat. I think Mike McCarthy's underrated. I think he's got that team in a really good spot. Adding Brandon cooks was big um, because they, they struggled kind of taking the top off the defense last year. And so I think that the most complete team in the NFL, the defense is amazing too. I know Thomas always talks about Dan Quinn because he was his head coach here in Atlanta and Dan's gotten better defensive talent there than he ever had here. Uh, and, he, and he's doing great things with them. I think the Eagles don't, don't tell that to Thomas. He was in charge of getting the talent. There. I, yeah. Don't well, Thomas. Them. Yeah. Tom, no, Tom, I think Thomas is a pretty like he'll 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 uh, own up to that. I think, you know, Eagles losing both coordinators has hurt them. It hasn't been clean the first two weeks. And I think Hertz is again with, with Hertz. It's a, when you when you run the way he does and you don't necessarily have the robo arm that some of these other great guys do and you get injured, it's going to be tough. So I'm, I'm a, I think the Eagles will make the playoffs, but I don't think that they're a Super Bowl contender anymore. Uh, Washington has a tough schedule coming up, but I really like what I saw out of Eric Bieniemy so far. I think Bieniemy is going to be next in line for a head coaching job again. I think if you prove it once with Mahomes and then prove it again with Sam Howell, you deserve it. And I think the Giants, the issue with the Giants is just like it's a buzzsaw every week for them. And that starts tonight with San Francisco. Like they just have a really hard schedule and I think this is one of those years where you just hope and pray that guys like Joe Shane and and uh, Brian Dable can keep their jobs after getting expectations here and then lowering them a year later. You just hope that they keep them and that that ownership in, in New York is, is more progressive to kind of the, the ebbs and flows of the NFL. What team do you see that's uh, been a, one of the best teams in the NFL? What team do you see not making the playoffs this year? Uh, and has taken a big back. And the second question is, what team who's been crappy for the last three or four years do you see jumping into the playoffs and maybe making a run at this thing? Yeah, I I don't know about crappy necessarily, but I do think Green Bay um, with Lafleur, you know, without Rodgers, I think a lot of people believe that they're going to have a tough time. We give them like a 70% chance to make the playoffs right now. Um, a tough loss last week, but without their top three players uh, on offense. I think Lafleur is a much better coach than than people give him credit for. So I'm going to go with like the Packers missed the playoff last year. I think that they'll, um, you know, they'll they'll go ahead and and, and make it this year. Um, man, for the the other side of the coin, I'm looking here at some of these some of these teams. Um, I think Tennessee is going to have a hard time now. I know they beat uh, the Chargers last week, but like offensive lines, really bad. Tannehill is still taking sacks at a really high rate. Um, you know, you're seeing a, a little bit of a decline in him physically. Same thing with Derrick Henry. DeAndre Hopkins is banged up and he's not, you know, he's not the guy that they want him to be. And so I think Tennessee, who last year didn't didn't make the playoffs, but they were started seven and three before everybody got hurt. I think that their their time is kind of being a contender in the AFC is over. I think Jacksonville takes that division away. And I think that that they really run away with that division this year. A couple of my quick thoughts on what you said there. Jordan Love, by the way, I really enjoy watching him play. Uh, he plays loose. He plays free. I feel like watching Aaron Rodgers for three years. Uh, is it three years he's mm-hmm. on the bench, two or three years? I think there really is something to that. I think for Rodgers watching Favre for three or whatever years on the bench as well. So when you go out, when you go out there, you're not a robot yourself. And I see Jordan Love knowing what he's doing, pretty dang accurate with the football, 
but he freelances enough and uses his athleticism. I think he's going to be a, a heck of a quarterback. On the flip side, your Titans, when I watched Tannehill play, he's just sort of so methodical. He's supposed mm-hmm. to be this great athlete, right? He was a wide receiver at Texas A&M for a couple of years before the move to quarterback. And he's supposed to be this good athlete. And he is older, of course, but he sometimes I feel like he's moves about as quick as Kirk Cousins, which is probably one of the worst athletes uh, all around, uh, you know, in the NFL quarterback wise. And so, and they, they've just never uh, had that talent, that sort of high end exceptional talent wide receiver, which is, holding back that offense again. So I, I, there's a, there's, there comes a point when I was in Miami, two, 2002, three, four, five, those, those eras, Oh, then Ricky Williams, we had Chris Chambers in offense, but we just sort of had this methodical offense and our mm-hmm. defense just was awesome. Zach Thomas, junior say, uh, Jason uh, Taylor, Jason Taylor yeah. you know, three hall of famers right there. Um, um, you know, uh, Tim Bowens was an awesome defensive tackle. We had Pat Sertan and Sam Madison, but over time that just wears out a team. Yep. And I feel like the Titans are one of those teams where at some point their defense just gets worn out of trying to win these 13, 10 ball games. And, uh, uh, the, the running backs get worn out too, to be like, okay, we're just going to win these dog fights or playing these dog fights week in and week out. And that's exhausting on a defense. So I agree with you. So I feel like this year, the Titans might be one of those teams that, you know, sort of, sort of slides, you know, slides up. I sort of like the Colts. Uh, I, I do like this young quarterback. He's an insane. He might, he might be the greatest athlete to ever play quarterback in the national football league from a testing standpoint, um, mm-hmm. size, strength, speed can do backflips. I mean, I know Randall Cunningham probably could do backflips too, but uh, I, I'm interested to see how this kid's career goes. I, I don't know how it's going to be, but uh, a buddy of mine was his quarterback's trainer and he was like, Sage, I've never seen anything like this guy before. I just, he can just pick up a ball and throw 80 yards and we haven't even warmed up yet. And so I'm excited to see uh, uh, his development. Um, who do you have right now, two weeks in, going in three, who do you have in your Super Bowl? Preseason, I had Detroit versus Buffalo, uh, kind of trying to be off the beaten path a little bit. I like I like Jared Goff a lot. I like Dan Campbell. I think after one week, I'm probably going to say, because of how good Kansas City's defense is and how much I believe in Andy Reid, I think it's Cowboys-Chiefs. I think that the Cowboys are the most complete team in the NFL. If Dak stays healthy, he's another one like Burrow. When he gets injured – but he plays through it. He's much worse than when he's healthy, and that's different from him versus a guy like Mahomes. Um, and and you know the Chiefs got to figure out wide receiver, but I think that they will. And I think that they're they're transitioning to that Patriots element of their dynasty, where the first month is kind of messy, and everybody's like, "Oh, what's happened to this team?" And they're really just they're one of the few teams with the privilege of being able to work through those things, knowing that they're going to win ten of their next twelve because of who they have at head coach and quarterback. So it, it's you know I, it, it's a it's a delight to watch both of those teams, frankly, and I and I, it'll be a fun Super Bowl to see both teams that used to be in Dallas uh, or one team used to be. In Dallas and the current team in Dallas uh, face off in the Super Bowl. How do you feel about the Brock Purdy captained and George Kittle captained San Francisco 49ers? Do you see them in the championship game with the Cowboys? I do. I mean, every single year since 2011, Sage, the, the Niners have either won enough, have gone to the NFC title game or lost 10 or more games with the exception of 2014. So they're a team that it's very there's a lot of variables there and some of them get hurt they kind of just don't play well but if all of them stay healthy enough 
they're good enough and and they're a tough matchup in the playoffs because you go all season playing all these spread teams and all these teams that run a kind of a normal NFL offense. Then you get up against Shanahan and you get put in a blender. And that to me is why they're always better in the playoffs than they are in the regular season. So I like them there. My issue is, you know, can, can you keep the quarterback healthy? He's faced a lot of pressure so far and he's played tremendously, even given that pressure Purdy has, can you keep the quarterback healthy? And then, you know, can you keep a guy like Nick Bosa who sat out all at training camp? Does he stay healthy the whole season? Because there are there is always the history of guys who hold out, who get hurt, um, because I think they're one of the few teams where they they depend on their pass rush so much that their coverage is, is good, but not great. If you perturb the pass rush at all, then I think they get a little bit exposed defensively. So um, that that's kind of where I'm at with them. I think that they're a top four team in the league, uh, but I just give Dallas a slight edge. And next time I have you on, we're going to talk about quarterbacks drafted high in the first round versus quarterbacks drafted either late in the first round, second round, or last pick of the draft like Brock Purdy. I, if you go up and down these NFL teams, uh, it's fascinating to me to be like, oh, they're 2-0. and Their quarterback wasn't drafted high. Oh, they're 0-2. Mm-hmm. Their quarterback was drafted high. You see that sort of throughout the league right now. It's early, but it is amazing how often – uh, these top, top guys do not produce winning teams and teams end up doing pretty well, find themselves with a quarterback that uh, is may- maybe an older quarterback that came from somewhere else but still wasn't drafted high or someone drafted you know extremely low, obviously like Brock Purdy and is an Iowa State or a guy gives me Brock Purdy uh, you know, f- uh, names in, into our podcast as possible. So <laughs> we're all fans in the Iowa. I think even the Hawkeye fans are rooting for Brock Purdy, you know, a little bit. So, uh, Eric, I appreciate you, uh, come on to the show. Um, where can we find all your information? Uh, so, so our fans can, can go to your website. Yeah. So at Eric eager underscore on Twitter, but at Sumer sports on Twitter, we're up to 9,000 followers there. We're trying to just give an in-depth statistical analysis of the league. I have a the Sumer Sports Show with Eric Eager and Thomas Dimitrov, which goes every Monday and Wednesday throughout the season. Uh, Thomas is a fantastic co-host, a fantastic friend, uh, and really has done a really good job of just teaching me like what the NFL is really like. Of course, in addition to people like you who I've been able to, uh, you know, to be able to glean knowledge from. So uh, those are the places where you can find me. It's a great podcast. I think it's a wonderful mix between data and the science uh, and, and the statistics of football with, uh, you know, a former general manager who has spent his career analyzing players, their side, their speed, their strength, how to build a football team. Uh, there's no podcast out there like that. And uh, it, it's a great lesson. So, uh, Eric, uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me, Sage. All right. I'll see you on Twitter. Iowa everywhere.